Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of KitPod. Before we start, Adrian's got details of a giveaway linked to our guest today. Yeah, hello. So this week we're going to be talking about the David Beckham collection featured in volume two of Kit Mag. And to recognise that, we've got arranged to give away alongside the Goldfather, and that's depicting David Beckham for me, David Beckham's most iconic goal, and that was the free kick he scored for England against Greece at Old Trafford. To enter that, all you've got to do is follow both Kit Mag and the Goldfather on Twitter and retweet the and tag a friend in the pinned tweet on the top of our Twitter feed. Thanks, Adrian. So to introduce the motley crew of uh, kit nerds that make up the KitPod team, I'm Alex, and today I'm wearing, as a tribute to our guest, a United 94-96 shirt, which celebrates a number of their great number sevens, Best and Robson in the pattern, and importantly, the Enfant Terrible himself, number seven, Eric Cantona, on the back in flock print. So what are you wearing, Rob? Well, in another tribute to our guest today, I've got a double whammy. I'm wearing a PSG 94-95 European player issue shirt, and it's still got the tags attached. Excellent. And Adrian? Hi, guys. I am wearing an AS Roma 2002 third shirt. Got one of those absolutely giant ASR badges on it, this sort of badge that's almost as big as the shirt itself. And on the back, I've got a Walter Samuel name set, probably the most underrated brilliant centre half of the noughties brave choice for a man in his late 30s to pick a early noughties capper shirt but you're pulling off uh, pretty well and is that your own club you got here tom home shirt yeah so hello everyone i have decided to rile our guest today and i've gone for an 05 06 chelsea shirt because i know he'd love that probably my favorite umbro shirt this one excellent and finally it's a real pleasure to introduce our guest scott anderson so uh, you can follow him on Twitter at flying underscore Scotty. He's got an incredible collection of shirts, which we're going to talk about in the main article. But which one of them are you wearing today, Scott? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on uh, the fourth episode. Today, I have worn the 98-2000 Man United home shirt, obviously with the player issue Beckham name set on the back. You've done well, well to uh, collect one with a functioning zip there, Scott. Yep, the zip is still intact, unbelievably, and so is the short sleeve version I have. As you said, it's almost it's more harder to find the uh, zipped intact than it is the actual shirt. And from that collection of classic shirts, we're going on to some contemporary ones in the news. As usual, a lot's been happening in the world of kits this week. So our headlines, first PSG sellout with a 90s retro remake that's missing a key detail. Arsenal's new shirt takes inspiration from their current form by going down the tube. Atlas is set to wrestle for kit of the year with a Lucha Libre inspired special edition. And finally, Italy and Atalanta both think inside the box with some pricey limited editions. So Rob, you're currently trying to collect PSG 90s shirts. So which Ramberg classic have they remade and is it any good? Well, do you know what, Alex, for for retros and how bad they can be, I thought these PSG ones were great. So what they've done is they've produced a heritage range. So they've got the 91-92 home shirt, which is white, not blue, and the 92-93 home and away shirts, which was sort of that Ramberg era with the what you would call the computerised sleeves 
Dortmund had a version, uh, Leon had a version, very colourful, very bright. And obviously, you'll, you'll know with those French shirts at that time, you've got a lot of sponsors on the front. So they've got the Commodore sponsor on, which is quite iconic, and the Muller sponsor, which a lot of the PSG sort of aficionados didn't quite like as much because they were more the variants than the original sponsors. But you do find that with some retro shirts that they do tweak it a little bit or they do change it a little bit. They've already sold out. So unfortunately, if you are listening to this pod and you wanted one, you can't get one. They're only 50 euros. So expect them to retail for about 250 euros on eBay. The shirts themselves are brilliant, proper classic 90s shirts. It was like David Ginola's era, who's captain there at PSG for a bit. They had George Weir, so they were really good. But you hinted at it a little bit in the headline. Now, they are missing that iconic Nike logo from the shirts. And for a lot of collectors out there, you're immediately putting it on the don't buy list. The Adidas stuff that Arsenal have done, you know, with the sort of 91 to 93 kind of efforts, I've got the Adidas logos everywhere, so fans and collectors have loved it. But these PSG ones are just missing that key detail. So I'm not sure what everyone else's thoughts are about retro shirts. They can be a little bit controversial in terms of not having the real branding on. But, I mean, I thought they were great. A great effort, a good price point. But, yeah, can divide opinion. I, I like it. I think they're, they're nice. The originals of those are ridiculously expensive. So I can understand why it's root collectors that go down. I just think they've missed a massive trick by not getting Nike on board and involving them in it because I think the badge missing does detract from it for me. Not that it's something that I would buy, but I do think if I was going to and I was collecting that sort of PSG stuff, I would want I would want the Nike logo. Yeah, and it's strange, isn't it, when Nike and PSG have such a deep relationship that they've even changed the Jordan brand that they haven't exploited that. When the retro shirts have done well, as with United and the Snowflake and a couple of other Adidas bits, they're great. But I think if you start missing details, people's enthusiasm for them is, is going to really drop. What about you, Tom? What, what do you think? So I think that in a way you could see it as a positive that they haven't got the branding on it, because then that way you can at least distinguish between the new ones and the, and the originals. You know, you can't catch anyone out with a, a quick flip or a markup or anything like that. I think sometimes it is important to have a, a key detail that can differentiate between those originals and the new ones. Yeah, I think it's it's an important point, Tom. I think it's a good. It was a good price point, even though they only lasted a, a probably less than an hour. What forty quid? I think it was. I think that's great for someone who wants to uh, wear a shirt like that. It's a lifestyle item now, isn't it? And people can feel free. Yeah, forty pound for a t-shirt. They can wear it out and about, and um, they don't have to worry about ruining it. And if they want to look good. So moving from one sellout item to, to another, an Arsenal release uh, collaboration with TFL. This is a pre-match shirt that's based on the Piccadilly line seat pattern, Piccadilly being the line that runs through Arsenal Station. So they'll be wearing it pre-match from now to the end of the season, debuted in the loss to Liverpool. There were five pieces and like the PSG item, they sold out pretty quickly. So the links between the two are obvious. They're the only club to have an underground station named after themselves. It was an effort by Herbert Chapman to kind of integrate Arsenal into the community. Um, And also following Arsenal's failure to qualify for Europe and their cup exits, they'll both be relatively quiet on a weekday evening. Thanks for that one, Tom. Uh, I like it. I like anything where you build up a a link to the the local area. I was gutted when City got the the Hacienda branding and I I thought they executed it really, really well. If there was a Man United cross up with Metrolink, I I would be all over it. So there's been a mixed reaction to it, but you're a bit of a fan, aren't you, Tom? Well, when it first came out, I absolutely hated it. I thought it was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. 
But then I guess I'm a bit of a sucker for the marketing wizards because as soon as I saw the video of the club store and the whole range all decked out in that pattern, I thought it was great. It, it was just really quirky and, and unique. And I think if Chelsea did a similar range with, with the district line, I'd be all over it. I think we're getting into the realm of we can make it look however hideous we want. As long as we link it to a community feature, the suckers will buy it. That's kind of how I see it. It, lo- it looked, oh my, oh, it's terrible. Come on, come on, boys. Come on, Adrian, back me up. Yeah, no, it's quite clever because uh, TFL, both on the train seats and on the bus seats, they, they choose patterns that hide stains and marks and scuffs. And, and it's quite apt, really, that you know Arsenal have gone for that in a pre-match shirt and it does hide all the crap. Just a quick additional note, we talked about the No More Red shirt a couple of weeks ago. Unfortunately, Arsenal don't seem to have got the messages because they've actually had dismissals in the last two matches since then. At least no one will be able to see Granite Xhaka going missing again because he'll blend into those bus seats next time he plays. (laughs) Excellent. So moving on, Tom, we've been critical of some third shirts here on the the pod, but not all of them are bad. And and you've been looking to a, a bold new range from a Mexican designer. Yeah, so I'm sure a lot of people have seen Charlie and their kits the last few years. They're, they're really eccentric. They're really out there, uh, largely outfitting the, the Mexican Premier League. And they've released a range of third shirts for a number of clubs that celebrates another facet of Mexican culture, and that is wrestling or Lucha Libre wrestling. And these Lucha shirts, they're all mad, you know, crazy colours. The pattern of the material is full of wrestling motifs and lucha masks and that kind of thing and the collars are all uh they they simulate the, the back of a wrestling mask like with a lace tie up design they're really cool they're really unique and we saw atlas wear their shirt which i think is the best of the bunch this week they used it in a game so that you know these shirts now have that official moniker they were used in a game and, you know, that adds to their collectability, I think. And, you know, Charlie, they're a, they're a brand that are making a lot of waves, not just for their design, but they followed a well-trodden route this week as well in that they're um, being supplied to the US from Mexico for the first time. A US league team called San Diego Loyal will be the first American team to have a Charlie design shirt. So, you know, they're, they're progressing. I have to say, as someone who doesn't own any of those shirts, I didn't really know a lot about Charlie. They are coming out a little bit where they've got big bulk sort of items getting released. So they've got that Lucha Libre, haven't they? And it kind of, I think for those smaller brands, we talked a little bit about Hummel with Forward Madison and things like that. It does kind of put them on the map very, very quickly, doesn't it? Because they've got a sort of a market share or a bit of a market monopoly. When they bring a, a big bulk set of kits out, there's probably going to be something for everybody, isn't there? In one of the shirts that you're probably going to like, but not not really to my taste, but... To be fair, as a third shirt, you just kind of want the designers to go a little bit extreme, don't you? I think they've really succeeded with that and linking it with the Lucha Libre is a nice touch as well. Again, a kind of interesting point on the design. There are some famous wrestlers from that, but they already have club affiliations. Or alternatively, they don't want to be seen to be now affiliated with the club and cause problems within the fandom of the wrestling part. So they actually had to create some wrestlers that had identities that were linked with the different teams, which I thought was quite an interesting marketing task they had to complete. Just as an add-on as well, I have a couple of the Charlie shirts. They they did those Star Wars shirts linked to the release of Rise of Skywalker a few years ago for uh, Zolos, I think they were for. And they're actually really nicely designed shirts. You know, when you have them in hand, they're, they're packed full of little intricate details and well worth getting, I think. They're, they're, they're not 
cheaply made. They're, they're well-made shirts. I mean, I can see the attraction to it. I've always stayed away. I, you know, I know a lot of people are getting loved by Charlie. Um, and I think if I started getting Charlie, it'd be addictive. So I'm going to stick away. So going from cheaply made to the other end of the scale, Italian kit fans are going to be having to raiding their piggy banks for the latest Atalanta and Italy releases, aren't they, Adrian? Yes, that's quite right. Not just Italy fans. I'm sure the Scots and Welsh will get behind one of these box sets as well. So uh, Italy and Puma have released a commemorative box to, uh, to, well, to remember the infamous victory in the Euros against England. Still crying about it now. But um, 200 euros you're looking at before shipping and customs. It, it's the match jersey with a collection of gold signatures from all the players printed on it. Crappy looking box, but as I say, it's uh, not for the faint hearted. And if you thought that was a bit pricey, Atalanta released uh, t- Take It All box, they branded it. And for that, there's 200 boxes being produced. And again, they're pretty impressive boxes. There's pictures on the tw- Twitter feed. You get your choice of uh, a match jersey with player customization of your choice. You get a limited edition key ring uh, made out of the match jersey, and it must be the finest lever around when you hear the price in a minute. A bespoke scarf, and you also get a tour of the stadium, and you can get that for the bargain sum of two hundred and eighty-six euros plus shipping and customs if you're here in the UK. So, uh, yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. Uh, but if you're a diehard Atalanta fan, perhaps it's for you. I don't know. I think it's it's a mashup between shirts, collectibles and experiences now, that last element to it. So with the, the you know, the tour of the stadium. So um, whether that signposts the direction that people are going to go in in the future, clubs will go in, I don't know. I think it certainly is an interesting development. I, I saw it and I thought, wow, that's an incredible price for a shirt. But when you do look at some of the other things... Especially if you're an Atalanta fan, which brings another question on in a second. If you're an Atalanta fan, it could be a great package to have where you're getting all the extra little pieces of memorabilia and things that you can collect. But it does raise a question about sort of how we collect other team shirts, whether it's from the same country or from a different country. You know, if it was a, I don't know, a Newcastle box that was really expensive that had all the other memorabilia in, I wouldn't even look at it twice because, you know, they're a rival team. I wouldn't be buying all the shirts from a rival team. But you can see how it's been sort of created and curated, I suppose, for a fan. Maybe it might be something that we see over here from some brands as well. Absolutely. And I think it appeals to kind of the foreign fan perhaps more. I don't know if you feel the same, but with United, I, I, I often don't buy the kits. You know, I just turn up to the games and I, I watch it. And it's kind of these other teams abroad. If Dortmund had a, a collection like this I, I think I'd be tempted to buy it you know we go there you've got your shirt you can go for a tour things like that it, it kind of fits into that whole thing a, a bit better than your your own domestic club yeah I think it's at a price point where it has to be you know either your team or your second team I don't think as a collector you're going to invest that much when you know even on even on release the Atalanta shirt works out about 90 euros fully badged up with all of the sponsors and various sponsors to add to that you know fully priced up looking at 90 euros is a hell of a jump up to get the box the scarf the keyring and, and the stadium tour if it's just a team you follow because you follow follow the league you know i think the next step would be to include flight prices in there as well you know if they can throw a box together and give me some flights i'd be all up for it i think that flight be to turin or to bergamo Oh, yeah, I don't know. Well, train fare as well then. So just to round off this week, Adrian, a few more snippets you wanted uh, to pick up on. 
don't even know where to start here. It has been a busy, uh, busy news week, Alex. So just following up on one of the stories from last week, the QPR anniversary shirts that we covered, as as we um, suspected, they did sell out in a matter of hours. The club have been very good uh, and they're opening up a pre-order window from the 24th of this month to the 28th that will allow any QPR fans that missed out to, to go in and pre-order and make sure they get a shirt delivered, a bit like Dortmund did. Dundee United as well have released a cracking throwback shirt. So they've released a third shirt with, in conjunction with Macron that goes back to their 1995 first ever third shirt. Again, that's sold out in a matter of hours. I don't believe there's a re-release planned on that. Sticking in the UK, Scunthorpe have uh, launched a fan vote for their home shirt next season. I think it's the second year they've done it. And again, it's another Macron shirt. Um, If you're a Scunthorpe fan, you can go into uh, their social media and vote on the shirt you like most. If you don't like Scunthorpe, you can go in there and vote on the shirt that you hate the most. What about Napoli, though, Adrian? Haven't they released their 111th shirt of the season or something? Yeah, I'm dubbing this the British Gas Kit. Uh, based on the blue flames that go up it. Now, I'm trying to work this out. There's, there's, you know, people have lost count of how many shirts it is. I think it's 11. I think they've done three of the uh, domestic shirts and then this third shirt in a different template of the flames is the fourth domestic shirt. I think they did a home and an away European shirt, although the away one I don't think is available for sale. They've had the Halloween kit. They've had the three Maradona kits. So I, I think that's 11. I'm waiting for the uh, Maradona tribute link up with Charlie. I think that's quite appropriate, that one. Very good, very good. And actually staying in Italy, um, Inter Milan as well, uh, Chinese owners, as I think most of us know, decided to recognise the year for Dragon, which is the 2nd of February. It's their last home game before the Chinese New Year. They went with Chinese name sets on the back of their shirts. Not the first time it's been done. I think eBay did it a couple of years ago and um, I think Inter Milan might have done it before as well. Thanks for that round of Adrian. So after we've snacked on those morsels, uh, it's time for the main course of the KitMag article. So we're going to move on now to discuss uh, Scott's piece in episode two of KitMag. Scott, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what you've covered? Yeah, so the, the reason I got asked to be a part of the magazine was because it, I know everybody has favourite players and potentially have certain shirts with their names on them. But I'd managed to collect essentially every single shirt that Beckham had worn in his senior career with a name set on the back. The only exceptions being the Preston North End home and away. And the reason I uh, didn't go for well, they, they, I don't think you can find them with name sets. I think they were a Division Three side, so nobody really put the name sets on the shirts back then. And, of course, they didn't have the squad names anyway. They, they mainly just wore the numbers for when it was 1-11 to 11 for the game. And like the point you made in Episode 2 of the podcast, I'm, I also agree that, especially a shirt that age, I didn't want a replica uh, name set put on an original shirt like that. And it's just, I, I mean, I've looked and I've spoken to, I actually put a tweet out on about the Preston shirt and I had a lot of Preston North End supporters reach out to me and they said that it just doesn't really exist in the replica world. And I'm not sure where Beckham's Preston North End match-worn shirts are, but they'd probably be worth the entire collection, so. And Beckham saw Sullivan off his line! Absolutely phenomenal. 
Uh, so Ian approached me and I did the, I just pretty much covered, because it took 20 years to, to complete the collection. So it wasn't, you know, I had certain shirts I'd bought along the way because I'm a Man U fan and, and uh, a Beckham fan. But there was definite, there's, there's some small gaps in time. For example, when I went to university and I was skint, then I wasn't buying three shirts a year um, with Beckham's name set on. And I also had a little, I was pretty heartbroken, which is embarrassing to say and as, an, as an adult when, when David Beckham <laughs> left Man United. I, was a little, I genuinely couldn't bear to see him in a Real Madrid shirt for quite a while. And uh, so I, I didn't pick up my first Real shirt for, I think it was potentially, you know, 2012, maybe 13. So it was a long time after he left. And as I said in the article, it was my girlfriend who happens to now be my wife that kind of kick-started it again because she bought me his first LA Galaxy shirt uh, for my Christmas. So that kind of, I, I got over it then and, and thought, you know, I would continue it again. And we, we, we went out to LA a couple of times, which was really good to watch him play. And that really kick-started the actual Beckham collection. And I went on from there to collect... Uh, the AC Milan's and the Paris Saint-Germain ones. But it was interesting because it was 20 years. It was such a long period of time. And the way you could obtain shirts completely changed from the first shirt I bought to the last shirt I bought. So the article mainly followed, followed the story of how I picked up the shirts, where I picked them up, and things like how I you know, decided to do the name sets and... and uh, and how I would, how I got the name sets as well. So you're in a full, full ten years of having a grudge for a Scotsman. That's quite a short period of time. Normally, as a Scot, you hold a grudge <laughs> for a good four or five hundred years. I was essentially forced to relinquish the grudge, which was, uh, which again is probably fairly typical. Otherwise, it may have kept going. <laughs> but please, you did. It's one of the That's questions incredible. I get asked the most: is how can how can an Englishman be my favourite player of all time? And it's a question I can't answer. I just, <laughs> he just is. I'll follow your heart, Scott. Puede ser peligrosa David Beckham, que tiene un guante en su pierna derecha. Ronaldo, Raúl, buscando el remate al centro de Beckham. It's an incredible collection. And like, like you say, um, I mean, there's so many superstars you could have picked from that Man United 90s team. What was it about Beckham over Cantona or Keane or, or someone like that? Well, the, the, the first shirt I, I got was for my 10th birthday. I got the 96-98 the home shirt. And so that was kind of the tail end of um, Cantona's career. And not only that, it was, it was back in the day where Sky Sports and things weren't, although they were they were relatively big and and had all the football games. It wasn't particularly common, especially where I lived, to actually have Sky TV. Most of the most of the people that had Sky TV were, funnily enough, people that had problems with terrestrial TV. So they were essentially forced to have satellite TV, being that I come from a, a small island, and so I didn't I didn't really have very much access to watching particular games unless my dad took me down to the, the local boating club where they had essentially a, a TV in the bar that we could go and watch the games. And I think it just was, you know, I was 10 years old. I just kind of started really getting into football. And you know what it's like when you're, when you're a youngster, all you want to do is be on the ball. 
So everybody at football training wants to be taking the free kicks, taking the penalties and taking the corners. And I think it was purely just the fact that Beckham took all the, all the corners and all the free kicks. So as a, as a fan watching the TV, that was kind of, to me, that was something I looked up to. And I was like, and, you know, the spectacular goals that he scored, if you liked somebody who would take free kicks, it was, it was hard not to love him watching those goals. So I think that's, that's really what drew me to Beckham initially. And it just never really stepped away. I mean, even, you know, he was an icon. He, he wore the Predators, which were the most popular boots and, and continued to be so for years. He wore the famous number seven, which essentially then became my squad number for all the local teams I would play for. And it just, yeah, that, that initial initial attraction towards his style of play uh, and his persona on and off the field, it just it never really went away. Scott, considering you've got such a, a big collection for one player over such a long period of time, just thinking about the shirts themselves, uh, looking back to those shirts in sort of the mid to late 90s to now, what, what do you think are the biggest differences that you've seen in the actual shirts, whether that's the, the badges, the sponsors, the designs, the kind of way the shirts feel? What are some of the things that you can really clearly see across the sort of spread of shirts? Well, to be honest, they're they're massively different, which is and and you can almost pick every aspect of the shirt. So you could go initially, you go for the fabric. You know, nowadays, especially you 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 go from you flick from stadium to player issue. You know, you've got the difference. You've got the really thick materials uh, from the early nineties to now. The you know trying all these uh, technological advances, trying to stop you sweating or tight fitting shirts so you know you go from the essentially was the the flat bodied shirts of the 90s to the now fitted style shirts then as you said you know the badges you can go there used to be the the old school embroidered badges and now you've got anything from screen print to the plastic heat pressed uh you can also look at the name sets have completely changed whereas that you know all the early premiership 90s all the badges would have been the flock style print to now, every, I think everything everything after uh, Real Madrid it was all screen print. There was not a single a single flock after that. So there, there's loads of differences. And as you said, if you were to hold up the the ninety two ninety three shirt to his one of his um, player issue LA Galaxy shirts, the, the differences are, are just astronomical. It really shows it shows where not only the fabric technology is gone, but where the style of, style of um, football shirts is gone. Is there like, a, do you reckon there's a tipping point within that era? So are we talking mid-noughties or late-noughties? Where do, where do you reckon we see that point? Because there's quite a lot of shirts that, even in the 90s, were probably more similar to the modern ones now in terms of the feel or the way they look. Is there a tipping point in some of the shirts that you can see that Beckham was wearing? Yeah, definitely. When now this this could be specifically to Beckham's move as opposed to football shirts in general, but you definitely see a big jump from Real Madrid. Uh, so it would have been two thousand seven from the Real Madrid into the LA Galaxy era. But as I as I mentioned in the in the article, the Americans do things massively different than anybody that any of the Europeans do, and that's across all sports in America. Now, most American, so uh, I'm a big basketball fan, which very easily leads into why I like the Michael Jordan PSG stuff. But I've been a Bulls fan for a, for a long, long time. And 
in in the uh, American sports, there's actually three different versions of shirts. So you have a fan shirt, you have a game day shirt, and then you have the the authentic shirt. So they actually provide three. And so when he moved to America, that's when I really started to see. Now, now Real Madrid, you know, you had the four motion came in. I think that was 2005, 2006-ish when... When Adidas, that's when you saw the difference between the player issue and the fan version. Now, so four motion did start to show a big difference, but the problem was in Europe they weren't commercially available. So even if you wanted a, a, an authentic shirt, they, they just weren't available in your, you know, the the early two thousands. Whereas in America, everything was available. So every shirt that came out, you had the stadium and authentic. So. The minute Beckham moved to Galaxy, it completely opened a, a, a completely different style of football shirt that was available for the fan to buy. And that's so in, in my collection, that's where you start to see a big difference in the quality of shirts. But I would have said in terms of if you had match-worn shirts, I think the 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 Real Madrid, maybe the, the team geist was, was one of the ones that I, I managed to get a hold of it and a four motion version of that. I think that's probably where you'd start to see the switch from a player issued shirt uh, onto the, uh, as opposed to the fan shirt and the style where they started getting more, you know, it was all the myths about shirt pulling, wasn't it? That was their excuse. They were like, right, we're making these fan shirts super tight. So it makes it harder for defenders to pull the shirt. And I think that's where, that's where it started to lead off into a completely different uh, style of, of football shirt for the players anyway. Yeah, I wish Roma went down having stadium versions of those Kappa kits in the early noughties because um, they're not too great on the old handles. <laughs> well, they were the ones that started it, wasn't it? That was it was their campaign. They had a didn't they have a shirt pulling advert where they had they they had a guy in the Kappa and there was somebody that looked like a defender trying to grab the shirt. But <laughs> yeah, great for the players, exactly. not for the mid thirties body. <laughs> incredible collection Scott to have brought all of them together but you had a bit of a helping hand early on with a, a Saturday job didn't you? Yeah so the first when I was uh, when I was 14 the first job I got was working in the local sports shop and it was the, the best thing about it was the not only did I get to see all the shirts coming into the shop but before they hit the shelves because you know that obviously you, you would get the catalog so we we saw the shirts before they'd even been released to the public because the shops have to order their stock so you know i could sit and flick through the night now this was obviously pre-twitter days so it's not as exciting and i'm sure it's i'm sure social media has um has changed how they do it now because i've, I've not worked in a in a shop for a very long time but so i would know what the man you shirt looked like months ahead of the release because we would sit in sit with a boss and go through the catalogue about which, what football shirts should we order in. And then they'd come in, they'd come in the boxes and I could, you know, I would pick out my, I was a small at the time, so I would pick out my small and stick it on the shelf and I wasn't allowed to wear it outside until the release date. And then he had a heat press as well. So I literally had the pick of, the pick of any shirt I wanted with a heat press and access to all the official name sets. And the best of all was I got a 50% staff discount. So naturally... Instead of saving money, I'd buy two shirts instead of one. So how many, how many shirts are there in your David Beckham collection? What's the number? Uh, 69, I totaled it up. Uh, sorry, 69 is what he wore. And I think with doubles, I'm at 73 with Beckham on. I mean, it's a great number for him to have worn. So 69 shirts. You have a family fire. 
not family fire, house fire. You can only <laughs> run in and grab one shirt. Which shirt are you going to grab, Scott? I knew this was coming, and I was. And why? I was, and I was. Um, I've been racking my brain because it's it's you know I have there's so many different. Some of them I like because of the look of them. Some of them I like because of what was achieved in them. Other ones I like because they hold they hold sentimental value. But uh, I have to say my wife bought me the very first LA Galaxy, so the 2007 home LA Galaxy shirt. And it was a player issue. So it had the, you know, it came with the stars and the extra detail. I think I would probably have to grab, have to grab that one. Plus, it was a pretty. It was actually at the time. I'm sure it's changed now, but at the time, it was the the biggest selling shirt ever when he when he moved. So I think I'd probably have to grab that one. Considering some of the shirts that he wore, is there any team that you would have loved Beckham to play for, so that you could have had a four or five year run of their shirts as well? Well, obviously, it couldn't be anything in England. You know that would have uh, that that would rule out anybody there. You know, AC Milan, that's not a bad one to have in in Italy. Spain, Real Madrid, I probably, you know, Barcelona did have quite a few nice Nike shirts in Real Madrid. But if you're going to go to a different league, obviously, you know, he never, he never went into the Bundesliga. But if he could have played for Dortmund in the 90s, that would have been incredible. Not so much the 2000s. I don't know. I think, you know, and I'm not just saying this because we're on the podcast, but Aroma, if you'd have gone to Roma, they've had some really, really nice shirts and it would have been a good excuse to pick up some, some Roma shirts. Because to be honest, you know, the, the teams, anything outside of Man U, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan. You know, I like, it's mainly players that will draw me to other, other teams. So I think... Yeah, that would have been a good excuse if he'd have gone because I mean everybody loves Totti, and I have quite a few Totti shirts. But yeah, if I could have, if I could have had Beckham, I could have had all those lovely Roma shirts, but with Beckham on the back instead of Totti. Rio gets up. Beckham, there's an empty net. Kevin Hartman is in a race to get back. Beckham is going to try it over the halfway line, and he's going to hit an empty net. What a goal from David Beckham! Talking about other shirts, it's an incredible collection on its own, but this is just a small part of your overall collection. So how many shirts do you have and are there any other sub-collections you have? Of So the, the current tally is, and, and this is uh, including my first arrival from this year, is 421. So yeah, it's less, less than a quarter of my collection is, is the actual Beckham collection. But there's yeah, there's quite a few little quite a few little subsections so i have obviously i have the boxed shirts so i have a an inclination to buy limited edition shirts that somebody will release in a box but not any old shirt i have to admit it's you know you couldn't you can't slap anything and throw it in a box and expect me to buy it so there, there's still certain standards even though so, I like so not not the napoli shirts then scott no nope i don't have any of the napoli shirts any of the maradonas or the halloween none of them made it the other one that is the other one that's surprising to most people is the the hundredth anniversary Japan shirt. Great box, rubbish shirt, and for two hundred quid to get it from Japan, it it, it just wasn't it wasn't going to happen. I'm sorry. You know, my contender for worst shirt, fantastic box, is that African Unity one. The box and the bits are, are superb, but the shirt is terrible, 
Terrible. Have you got that one? Nope, same again. I don't have that one. And it's disappointing because sometimes there's really good shirts that come out and the box is really bland. But yeah, that one is, is the opposite. Brilliant. I mean, it's a wooden box, which is unheard of. I mean, I don't think there's, there's not many that have actually gone with a wooden box. So outside of box shirts, most of it, to be honest, it revolves around players generally. So I have, as I said, I have quite a few totty shirts. I like really like Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo. So I have quite, <laughs> I have quite a few shirts uh, from him. And then a lot of things, I just, I just really appreciate a nice shirt. So, you know, I have a few of the Dortmund ones that are, that are, in my opinion, really nice shirts, Barcelona. So I, so I kind of, I jump, I jump around, but it mainly tends to be the players that would attract me to a shirt as opposed to an actual team. Because if it's if it's not man new, I'm not I'm not a fan. You're um, given you got over 400 shirts and you've been collecting for such a long period. You're probably the best person place to put to bed some kit collecting myths. So are you all right if we? throw some myths out or some urban myths, some legends, and you tell us whether they're true or not. Does that sound all right? Sounds good. So the first question I've got is, when were blackout shirts invented? <laughs> well, it definitely wasn't the Dortmund blackout shirt, that's for sure. I have a Brazil, I have a Brazil third shirt from 2012, so definitely wasn't the Dortmund one. Are South American variants as good as the European ones? In my opinion, not even close. I, I would borderline, unless they're a South American team. So if you, if you have a South American version of a Boca Junior shirt, well, that obviously makes sense. But no, I don't. I think they, they go too far from the actual design of the team's shirt. If they designed it exactly the same, fine. But they change, you know, they obviously have the, the license to change things. So for, for me, it's a big no. I, I wouldn't even buy one. What's the most recent shirt you purchased? The most recent shirt I purchased was, oh, it was actually the Holland 2004-2006 limited edition boxed Ruud van Nistelrooy shirt. Wow. So those are the ones, if people haven't seen them, with the, um, I say the perspective boxes, but they've got the glaze, the orange glaze for Holland. And yeah. You can see the shirt inside. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Never opened? Uh, never opened. That's why I bought it. Yeah, what's and the, it came. Uh, I was gonna say, what's the run on that one as well, Scott? Because they're all different, aren't they? That one's one of five thousand, but I couldn't tell you what shirt it is because I've not taken it out of the box. Unfortunately, the the actual number of the shirt is folded out of sight, so I'm not sure which one of the thousand it is. That's an error, that is. <laughs> yeah, they should have had that bit sticking out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The thing is, I mean, it's you know, it, it's obviously a, it, it's a big topic. You know, because some people think that they should be worn, and some people, some people don't think that they should. But you know, I, I think some of those things are just, you know, they've they've been put in a presentation box for a reason. You know, if you, if you wanted a Holland shirt to wear, just buy the forty quid one that was on the shelf. They didn't they didn't put it in a presentation box for us to bash it open and dump the box. So that's my, you know, different people get joys from it from for different reasons. I can even tell you the day I stopped taking tags off shirts. It was a 2008 David Beckham home shirt that I got for Christmas. And I really, I really, really liked it. Long sleeved. It was excellent. Wore it out a few times and I damaged the name set 
and it was just from you know I, I you know sitting on a chair or you know I went to a friend's house sat in the chair and I must have just rubbed on the chair and I remember being really mad that the name set was ruined and I was like how am I gonna you know do I buy another one because the name set's ruined and when you kind of I kind of looked into right I'm gonna I think I'll get another one and it was you know that was expensive and sometimes if they sell out and my personal view is that I get more irritated knowing that the shirt is damaged than I do from the joy of wearing it. So I, I just quite like having shirts that I know are in great condition and I don't sell my shirts. So I don't keep them in good condition because I want to sell them. I keep them in good condition because I like having my things in good condition. And that's why I have 421 shirts because the first, I still have the first shirt I bought that I got given to me from my birthday, which was in 1997. And it's still, you could slap it on a website and it's, it looks like it's barely been touched. And that's just how I, I, I just look after my things. It's, <laughs> it's always been a thing, <laughs> a thing that, that I've done. So I, that's why I don't take the tags off. It's nothing to do with holding the value or I'm going to sell them. I just, if I'm not going to wear it, why take the tag off? And, and it, for me, it's just, it's a complete shirt. You know, do you, I can say, do you have the shirt? Well, I have the shirt and it's absolutely pristine and brand new. Well, it's an amazing collection and a really great story behind it. So thanks for sharing that with us, Scott. So just a reminder that you can read Scott's article, The Beckham Collection, in issue two of Kit Magazine, which is still available as a digital copy online. On to the quiz now. And after Adrian's victory last week, the boys are tied at one each. So for this week's quiz, I got a bit of inspiration from GM Sporting Nostalgia. So he's been collecting some ABM shirts and had a beautiful pink Palermo with Tocker sponsor come in. So the question is, how many teams can you name that have had a pink shirt? Club or country? And the majority of the shirt has to be pink, so not just a flash in the details. Rob, do you want to go first? Ideally, no, but now you've asked me... um... (laughs) Right, I'm going to go for two. It's not a trap. It's very tactical. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying, I mean, I think I could do two. Can I do three? I'll go for three just because I'm not having Rob win on two. <laughs> go for it. I can have Palermo, obviously, yeah? And I can have Juve. Yep. And I can have Barcelona. Didn't Barcelona have done away pink, a pink shirt a couple of years ago, didn't they? Yes, spot on. So, victory to Adrian. Got, yeah, I could have could, could gone more. Did Ford Madison have an all pink shirt? I had a quick Google and uh, okay. the Scottish kits that, that I have, the Everton had a away oh, or a third. Everton, yeah. United, 2018, there was a, a pink, oh, yeah. light pink kit. If you said Barca, there was uh, Grimsby, uh, Sevilla, obviously Juve, Leicester, remember their, their pink kits? Oh, yeah. Real as well, Lyon and uh, oh, this Leeds this year had it away. Yeah, more than you think. Any international ones? Because that's what I started going down the international route in my head, and that's I think that's probably where I got stumped straight away. There's a Scotland '98, oh, 2000 yeah, away. Yeah, I think maybe a couple of other times they've had had pink, but couldn't think of, of many others. Congratulations, Adrian. Yeah, I'm almost embarrassed to take that victory. I'll take it though. They all count. And on to Kit Room 101.
Okay, so now it's move on to our Kit Room 101 section where one of us tries to banish something from the Kit community. Rob, what is it that's caught your eye today? Right, so I think terrible quality modern stadium shirts deserve to be burnt in Kit Room 101. Not only just put in there, burnt at the stake. Now, I get why people do it, but for me, you're absolutely cheating consumers. They're not the same shirt. They're so far removed from what the players are wearing. Player versions are great. You know, we can buy player issue now, whatever technology they've got. But for me, replica has just been at the core of what football shirts have been for fans for so long. Now, I just think fans are absolutely being ripped off. Can you give us an example of of one you think is really bad? To be honest, any of the Nike Stadium shirts, I reckon, from the last 18 months to two years, just the badge alone are terrible. They just feel like this really cheap, horrible, flat thing. There's no detail in anywhere. It's just, they're just awful. Adidas, how bad are they, Rob? To be fair to Adidas, they don't do the player versions for half the teams, so you can't always compare them. But from what I've seen, some of them, especially the United ones from this season, they're actually missing details from the shirts. I think Scott might correct me here, but I think the player versions almost have got a stripe within the shirt, but the actual replica ones just completely different. Yeah, they have a they have the the pinstripe detail through them, and it's also. You can really see it in the PSG home shirt as well. The well, the vapors in general as well have the the detail throughout the pattern. But I mean, I'm I'm with I'm with Rob on this one. I think player issue to replica is definitely a personal preference. Anybody that follows my Twitter knows what my preference is. But just because there's a player issue, I don't believe that you should buy that one. I just prefer them. But the the stadiums are, I mean, they've even, they've managed to make plain shirts look awful, which is something special. There's nothing even to pick out how badly designed it is. The, the fabric is just, it looks like it's like one of the old shell suits from the 90s. That's what the material looks like. But they're still charging the 70 quid RRP, which is atrocious. I mean, at least if you're going to make a stadium shirt that bad, make it cheaper than what the, the old school replica was. So I'm, I'm, I agree in the bin and burn it. To me, this is just old men shouting at clouds. Stadium shirts have always been crap. But there's a reason we wash all our vintage shirts at 30 degrees, and that's because they fall apart <laughs> anything higher. And and even if you just take United shirts, you know, Scott's given us this really rose-tinted view of, of United shirts in the past. But I know for a fact, Scott, that that's the only one of those shirts in existence that still has a, an intact zip. When you look at the... The one that came after that, the Vodafone Sports Wool. Again, there's not one in existence that hasn't got holes right across behind the sponsor. And when you come even to the Champions League winning kit, 2006, 2008, those stripes on the back were held on by nothing more than good wishes. So stadium shirts have always been crap. It's just now we've got good, authentic shirts as well. I think that is a valid point, Alex, and I'll take that point. However, and this is where I'm going to come in, it's the price difference between the two is is ridiculous. I think if you're going to produce a stadium shirt like Nike are producing at the moment, the, the RRP is is crazy because you're selling it as a shirt that looks like the shirt the players are wearing. It does not look like the shirt that the players are wearing. If you take your example, the Manchester United shirts in the mid to late 90s, your replica shirt that you're wearing, uh, yeah, five-a-side or two, it looks like the shirt Beckham's wearing on the pitch. That's not the case today. 
And I think that's one of the key differences as well. They just look so bad. You might as well just get some cheap copy or wait until they're 15 quid in the sale because paying 70 quid for one, you're just absolutely not getting value for money. We're definitely not knocking brands for doing two versions of the shirts at all. But really, the last two or three years, that quality of those what we'd call replica shirts or stadium shirts has dropped so much that it's just getting a little bit ridiculous for me, for the consumers themselves. The other issue for me uh, is, like you said, is not only are they charging 70 quid for a terrible shirt, but they're actually increasing the price gap as well. Because not even not three years ago, 2018, the Vapor shirts were 90 quid. And now if you look at the Adidas Authentics, they've come out at £110. So they're, you know, they've gone, they've jumped 20 quid. So not only are they 20 quid more expensive than they used to be, but they're 20 quid further away than what the other alternative is, which is a really poor quality shirt. So could we say it's more the price gap getting bigger that should go in room 101, or is it just the bad replicas altogether? For me, as the one who wants to put it in room 101, it's the bad replicas. People would be happy to pay 70 quid if that stadium shirt was even 10% better. The badge was vaguely better. The material didn't feel like you're going to set on fire every time you had a Siggy at halftime in your five-a-side game. Come on. These brands can do a lot, lot better than that. Well, do we need the American model that Scott talked about earlier with the three versions? And actually, these, these rubbish stadium shirts we're looking at would be your entry level. I'm not saying that £70 should be an entry level. That should be a £50 shirt. Then you should have a £70 shirt that's uh, somewhere in between and actually looks like the player version. And then we can go have our, our vapors and our dry fits and what have you. It would certainly solve a lot of problems for me because not everybody, not everybody that wears a football shirt is a collector. You know, some people like to wear them, as you said, either to play football in so they're going to get ruined or to wear to a game where you're going to, you know, you might get covered in drink or tomato sauce or, or anything. And those kind of those kind of football shirt wearers aren't going to be paying the £110 for the authentic. But it's no excuse for the brands to pump out an absolutely terrible quality shirt at, at the price that they do. I wouldn't even buy... It, it, for me, it's not even the price. The, the quality of the shirt's so bad, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't buy one. And to just come to a slightly separate issue that I hope we all agree on is the, the sizing of these shirts. If I'm paying 30 quid extra for a shirt, I want to be told I'm a size smaller than I, I really am, not a size larger. But Alex, extra large boys is still a pretty small shirt. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Go on then, let's, let's, let's have hands. Who's, who's in, who's in favour of that going into room 101? Poor stadium shirts. Yeah, I can't disagree with Rob. I think get them in, burn them, they're gone. You got my vote, Rob? Yeah, for me, in the bin. Okay, and after another contentious issue wrapped up, it's time we've come to the end of episode four. So again, I'd like to thank Rob, I'd like to thank Adrian, Tom, and our guest Scott. A reminder that you can tag us uh, any feedback you want to give us, use the hashtag KitPod. You can also follow us on socials on Twitter at KitMagazine underscore and on Instagram at KitMag underscore.